Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 93 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Soyuz Development, Part 2, Rivals. Recapping from episode 92, Chief Designer Sergei Korolev and his OKB-1 Design Bureau are proceeding with a very complicated plan to use a new Soyuz A-7K spacecraft and existing 8K-74 boosters to implement a circumlunar flight. The plan involves three new spacecrafts. First, the Soyuz A-7K spacecraft, capable of carrying three men, or two men on a circumlunar flight, into space and returning them to Earth. The 5.5-ton spacecraft has three modules, the orbital module, the re-entry module, and the service module. The second new spacecraft is called the Soyuz B-9K booster stage with a fuel mass of 18 tons. After docking with the 7K, this is capable of boosting the combined spacecraft out of Earth orbit on a course to the moon. The 9K is equipped with a 450-kilogram force main engine and orientation engines of 1 to 10 kilogram force. It will have 14 tons of propellant when fully loaded. The third new spacecraft is called Soyuz V-11K Tanker. It has a mass of 5 tons and it is used to ferry fuel from the Earth to the 9K booster. It will take four tankers to fill the 9K booster with enough fuel to push the Soyuz 7K on a path to the moon. Korolev's planned circumlunar flight would begin with a launch of the Soyuz B 9K booster into a 225-kilometer low-Earth orbit. This would be followed by four Soyuz V-11K tankers, which would automatically rendezvous and dock with the 9K. The 11K tankers would transfer up to 22 metric tons of propellant to the 9K booster using compressed gas. Once the 9K is full of propellant, the Soyuz A-7K spacecraft with the cosmonauts aboard would be launched and docked with the 9K booster. After one or two orbits around the Earth, the 9K would fire, boosting it and the 7K toward the moon. When the propellant was expended in the 9K booster, it would be jettisoned. It would run out of fuel long before flying around the moon. The 7K proceeds to the moon circles around the far side and hits directly back to Earth. Once the 7K returns to Earth, it jettisons the orbital module and the service module and re-enters the atmosphere and lands by parachute. It was decided Korolev's OKB-1 design bureau would develop the Soyuz 7K manned vehicle, while other design bureaus would develop the 9K booster and the 11K tankers. However, by 1964, it was becoming obvious that Korolev's plan 
involving so many launches and dockings was too complicated. Perhaps it was most obvious to one of Korlov's rivals, Vladimir Jalome, who was working at a different design bureau, OKB-52, on his own UR-500 or Proton launch vehicle. Shalomi was hoping to break the stranglehold that Korloff and Company, also known as the Podpilki Mafia, had on the Soviet manned space program. As an alternative to Korloff's plan, Shalomi had the audacity to create a proposal to execute a circumlunar flight using a single launch plan. He proposed using his own piloted LK-1 vehicle boosted toward the moon by his own UR-500 booster unit. According to his proposal, the UR-500 rocket would be converted from a two-stage into a three-stage rocket, and in that version it received the designation UR-500K, or, for public use, the Proton-K. One reason Shalomi could submit such a proposal and have it taken seriously was he had a close connection with Premier Khrushchev. On August 3, 1964, before Khrushchev was ousted, Shalomi managed to convince him to sign the decree that would fund Shalomi's version of a circumlunar mission. Shalomi promised Khrushchev he could launch the UR-500 within two years. Under the 1964 decree that Khrushchev signed, Chalomi was to develop the three-stage UR-500K booster and LK-1 spacecraft for the manned lunar flyby. Korolov was supposed to develop the totally different N-1 booster and L-3 spacecraft complex for the manned lunar landing. First launch of the N-1 was to be in the first quarter of 1966, with a manned lunar landing in 1967 to 1968. Before we continue, I want to take a brief tangent to explain the N-1 and L-3 I just referenced. Under this decree, Korloff was to develop the N-1-L-3. The N-1 was a heavy-lift rocket intended to deliver payloads beyond low Earth orbit. Acting as the Soviet counterpart to the NASA Saturn V rocket to land a man on the moon. This N-1 booster had the capability of lifting heavy loads into orbit. It was designed with manned extraorbital travel in mind. Development work actually started on the N-1 in 1959. The basic N-1 launch vehicle had three stages, which was to carry the L-3 lunar payload into low Earth orbit. The L-3 contained an Earth departure stage and a lunar landing assist stage in addition to the single cosmonaut LK lander spacecraft and a two cosmonaut Soyuz 7K LOK lunar orbital spacecraft. 
N1L3 was underfunded and undertested and started development in October 1965, almost four years after the Saturn V. The project was badly derailed by the death of Chief Designer Sergei Korolev in 1966. Each of the four attempts to launch an N1 failed. During the second launch attempt, the N1 rocket crashed back onto its launch pad shortly after liftoff and exploded, resulting into one of the largest artificial non-nuclear explosions in human history. The N1 program was suspended in 1974 and in 1976 was officially canceled, along with the rest of the Soviet manned moon programs. The N-1 was kept secret almost until the collapse of the Soviet Union in December 1991. Information about the M-1 was first published in 1989. Now, returning to 1964. Korolev felt that if he had the support of the Communist Party, the military, and industry, he could achieve the goal of lunar landing by 1967 to 1968, and this 1964 decree ordered such support. Korolev truly believed the USSR could be the first on the moon. The 7K, 9K, 11K circumlunar system was effectively canceled, but the Soyuz A itself would be developed by Korolev as the 7K-OK manned orbital spacecraft. Korolev also kept his options open and had versions of the Soyuz that could be called upon to fly circumlunar missions. Now let's take a closer look at Chalome's circumlunar mission plan. Under Chalome's plan, during 1964 and 65, OKB-52 would have two main projects. First, the development of the UR-500 rocket, and second, the design of the LK spacecraft. This effort was about achieving a minimal goal, a circumlunar trip to the moon, with minimal resources. Shalomi was initially considering a two-seat capsule, but the final mission scenario called for a single cosmonaut flying around the far side of the moon in a cramped conical space capsule with a cabin volume of just 2.4 cubic meters. There was no possibility of entering a lunar orbit during the week-long mission. Onboard propellant would only be enough to steer the ship behind the moon and then immediately head back home. Depending upon the situation in a particular mission, the spacecraft would pass from 100 to 5,000 kilometers from the lunar surface. During re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, the capsule would steer itself with the help of liquid propellant thrusters and upon entering the denser layers of the atmosphere, could use its aerodynamic shape for maneuvering. The descent module would achieve soft landing thanks to a combination of a parachute and solid propellant engines suspended above the capsule on parachute strings.
Chalome's engineers considered eventually upgrading the LK spacecraft to a two-seater, which they identified as LK-1. However, if they did that, it would be necessary to upgrade the UR-500 rocket with a more powerful upper stage. For this role, Chalome's engineers eyed a prospective space tug using a mix of liquid fluorine and ammonia. At the time, the 8D21 engine burning this exotic and very dangerous propellant combination was under development at OKB-456, led by none other than Valentin Glushko, another Korolev rival. Back at OKB-1, Korolev and Chertok were none too pleased about the August 1964 decree. A key concern was the decree obligated Chalome to build 12 spacecraft for circumlunar flights by the beginning of the second quarter of 1967. The fact that a second organization had been created that had dared to take on responsibility of manned spaceflight was shocking and unbelievable to the personnel of OKB-1. The universally held opinion at OKB-1 was, we don't care about boosters. There really were many different kinds of them, so let them come up with different chief designers for each booster, and we will generously give away automatic spacecraft to other design bureaus. But the development of vehicles for manned flights must remain OKB-1's monopoly. Of course, due to the August decree, it became pointless to continue work on Korolev's circumlunar flight plan. And, to be completely honest, even Korolev now agreed the reliability of that plan with five to six launches per flight wasn't worth developing. So, during the rest of 1964, a feverish search was conducted for ways out of this dead end. In his fight against Chalome's LK spacecraft, Korolev also sought the support of Nikolai Kamanin, the powerful deputy to the Air Force commander responsible for cosmonaut training. However, Kamanin sided with Chalome, arguing that with the expansion of the space program, it would be useful that more than one organization had experience in building manned spacecraft. This led Korolev to the idea of joining forces with Chalome. Korolev proposed the third stage of the R-7 rocket could be converted into a booster unit for the UR-500K, and that way, Chalome would not have to develop his own upper stage. Similarly, the Soyuz 7K could be modified so that Chalome would not need to develop his LK-1 capsule. Of course, Chalome rejected this proposal out of hand, but the political situation changed abruptly after October 1964 with the fall of Khrushchev. At least from the standpoint of the highest government interest, it was now possible 
to argue that the ideological and technical merger of the operations of OKB-1 and OKB-52 was a sensible option in terms of solving the common high-priority task of a circumlunar flight. On November 11, 1964, at the Karunichev plant in Philly, Chalome presented the preliminary design of the LK spacecraft to industry leaders, including Korolev and Keldish. Obviously, Korolev argued vigorously against Chalome's lunar ambitions, directing his harshest criticism against the UR-500. His main argument was that the development of the UR-500 took valuable resources from the ultimate goal of lunar landing. But the UR-500 rocket had already been built, and this made it difficult to cancel. However, Chalome's LK spacecraft was still on paper. Chalome would not even be able to approve its preliminary design until June 30, 1965. Then, a new hurdle appeared before the project when the Kremlin's Military-Industrial Commission ordered the formation of an expert group to re-evaluate all key projects at Chalome's OKB-52. Like all other Chalome's ventures, the LK project ended up under a microscope because of his close connection to former Premier Khrushchev. The expert commission officially worked from August 5th to August 19th, 1965, and fortunately for Chalome, the commission was chaired by his longtime ally, Keldish. In fact, the commission recommended to accelerate the circumlunar project based on the UR-500 rocket. The document was signed by 47 top officials. Not surprisingly, the commission members who came from Korolev's OKB-1 wrote a dissenting opinion that called for the cancellation of the LK project. However, they apparently no longer objected to the development of the UR-500 rocket, which had made its first successful flight just a month earlier. On August 26, 1965, a major meeting chaired by the head of the Military-Industrial Commission, Leonid Smirnov, reviewed the Soviet space strategy. Keldish again defended the UR-500 and LK projects. However, Smirnov said that OKB-52 was still drawing pictures of circumlunar spacecraft, even though it was supposed to fly at the beginning of 1967. Keldish countered, that switching to Korolev's 7K Soyuz spacecraft would postpone the flight around the moon for at least six months. However, most officials present at the meeting were inclined to combine the hardware, Chalome's UR-500 and Korolev's circumlunar spacecraft. According to Korolev's deputy, Mission, by the beginning of September 1965, OKB-1, prepared proposals for a circumlunar mission based on the Proton rocket and the Soyuz-derived spacecraft, which could make its inaugural unmanned flight in the first half of 1967 
and carry a cosmonaut duo around the moon by the 50th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution in November 1967. On September 6, 1965, the Minister of General Machine Building issued an official decree to the industry directing it to submit a schedule for the production of UR-500K proton vehicles. Two days later, Korolev invited Shalomi to another technical meeting at the campus of OKB-1 in Podlipki, where he presented several scenarios of using the UR-500 for a circumlunar mission. Korolev admitted that all plans to fly around the moon with the help of the R-7 were too difficult to achieve. Instead, a single UR-500K with the added Block D space tug and a stripped-down version of the 7K Soyuz spacecraft could carry two cosmonauts around the moon. On October 25th, a new decree was issued, stipulating that, for the first time, OKB-1 and OKB-52, Korolev and Chalome, through their combined efforts, must solve the problem of a piloted circumlunar flight using the 7K spacecraft in 1967. This same decree called for landing of a man on the moon in 1968. It is evident that although nothing is official, Korolev was confident he had killed off Chalomi's LK-1 circumlunar spacecraft and that a Soyuz variant would be launched in its place. The decree called for the first automatic docking of two unmanned Soyuz spacecraft in space in the first quarter of 1966. Now, instead of the piloted 7K spacecraft for the Soyuz program, two different spacecraft had to be developed. One for flights in near-Earth space using the R-7 launch vehicle and called 7K-OK and the other spacecraft for circumlunar flight using the UR-500K launch vehicle under the designation 7K-L1. Of course, both designations were secret. The 7K-OK orbital spacecraft was named Soyuz for future publications in honor of its origins. Thus, Chalome would have to prepare the UR-500K for the circumlunar flight, and OKB-1 would have to develop the new 7K-L1 vehicle and the booster upper stage. This stage, which was assigned the designation D, later proved to be surprisingly enduring and became an indispensable part of the UR-500K rocket, for launching all communication satellites into geosynchronous orbit, as well as launching new automatic interplanetary stations. By the time the decree was issued on October 25, 1965, the design work for the transformation of the 7K into the 7K-OK had already been developed. The working drawings were revamped at full speed with a lot of overtime.
Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.